Welcome, and thank you for listening to Sandy Creek Stirrings. I'm your host, Joshua Jimenez. And if you're going to win souls, you've got to love souls. In spite of their meanness, in spite of the way they look, in spite of everything, you've got to seek to bring souls to Jesus Christ because you love them, because Jesus loved them, and because Jesus died for them, and you're trying to bring them to the Son of God. The Bible says in Psalm 84, 11, my last verse, For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord will give grace and glory. No good thing will he withhold from them that walk uprightly. I based my whole life on that, that it pays to serve God, and I believe that with all my heart. God has given us a guidebook. God has given us a directional map. And that guidebook, that map, is the precious Word of God. Listen, don't just go and sit in the pew. Find some way to serve and serve as a family. Be a part of everything at church. And when you learn to love what God loves, um, your children will learn to love it as well. Homes are not that spiritually strong. We're getting overtaken by the world quickly. But unfortunately, we're pumping all the sewage in. You know, we're letting the world in when that ought to be a haven. Have you ever thought what would happen if you were sued for your faith? Many years ago, there was a church that was sued. Its school, specifically its Christian school, was sued. All of the parents that took their kids, that let their kids go to that school, were sued for simply the reason of allowing their kids to go to that school and having a Christian education. They were sued by the state government. And the state sent a letter to those families saying this, when you come to court, bring your child and their belongings with them, because if we win, we will take your children from you. What would you do? That school reached out to Dr. David Gibbs Jr. of the Christian Law Association And in a message that we are going to play on the podcast today, and yes, it's going to be a little bit longer of an episode today just because it's a longer message, but I want to play a message for you. It's one we've talked about on the podcast before. In our five life-changing messages, we mentioned this, uh, this message to you. And it's one that you had to contact me in order to be able to get because I can't find it anywhere online. I do have the MP3 file of it. and um, But we're going to play that episode here for you on the podcast episode today. And so that school called Dr. Gibbs, and he immediately went into action and said he would defend them within court and began to get people to pray. And he tells the story of what God did. It's an absolute miracle. You need to hear this message. And so From that episode entitled Five Life-Changing Messages, we bring to you today, here for your listening, and trust me, you'll enjoy this message. It will touch your heart, it will grow your faith, it will make you laugh, it'll make you cry. And so here's this message today, If My People, by Dr. David Gibbs Jr., preached back in 1996. Without further ado, here's that message, my friend. Until next episode, keep looking up and keep stirred up for the cause of Christ. Did you ever mean well? Try hard. And it still just don't go right. Give it your best. Think about it. Really, give yourself. And it still just doesn't go right. 1952, my life was significantly changed. In 1952, my 
Mother was preparing breakfast as I walked downstairs in our home. And as I walked into the kitchen at 5 a.m. in the morning, my mom said, Davy, I, I got a terrible headache, honey. I said, you all right, Mom? And she said, I, I don't know, Davy, I think I'm really sick. My mom turned from the pots and pans, walked a distance from about here to that interpreter, sat down on a couch and never walked again. Polio. Spinal meningitis had come to our house. Suddenly, my mom couldn't breathe. Suddenly, in front of me, I watched her body begin to curl up. Suddenly, the doctors came running and ambulances showed up. And I mean, here I am, eight years old, and they're saying, we don't know if we can get her alive to the hospital. In our living room, I watched as they punctured her throat to try to put air in. Polio is not an issue today. You can take a salt vaccine, a few drops on a sugar cube, and you've been inoculated. But in 1952, it was a killer. There was no way to stop it. For the next two years, my mom was in the hospital. Two years is a long time. Two years is really a long time when you're eight years old. For two years, I never saw my mom except to go on the roof of a building across the street and look over to the hospital windows and they'd wheel my mom to a window. And that's how I saw her for two years. Something that impressed me, Brother Garris, Polio was extraordinarily contagious. And the period of its contagiousness was for months and months and months. They came in and quarantined our house. I mean, we could not move for months and months. But as a young man, eight years old, I watched doctors go in to take care of my mom. Knowing that if they caught the disease, they would die. And some of the doctors who took care of my mom indeed died. As an eight-year-old boy, I went to their funeral. And I remember my dad saying to me, don't you ever forget, this man died trying to save your mom. There are things in life worth dying for. We're living in such an incredible, selfish society that we don't even want to be inconvenienced, let alone hazard our lives. But you hear me. Boy, if the gospel is going to be sent, some men are going to have to literally risk their lives to see that it be taken. For two years, I went to live with my grandparents, live on their farm. My grandma was the kind of lady that said, Whoever's here works. So first thing they did was give me some jobs. How many of you had parents or grandparents like that? Boy, there was no free ride. You're going to be here, you're going to get right to work. First thing she did was give me some jobs. I'm eight years old. First job was to go out and pick up the eggs every morning. Everybody here ever pick up eggs? Terrible job, terrible job. I mean, every morning, me and these hens had a battle. 
I was sent to get the eggs. They didn't want to give the eggs. And boy, I'm telling you, she'd had these hens, and, and you know, several hundred of them. And boy, were they mean. And, and I'd go out there and try to get under them, and, and boy, they'd peck, and man, I got my hands tore up. How many of you ever got your hand pecked really good trying to snatch an egg? Finally, I decided enough of this nonsense. What I did was take a ball bat, <laughs> went along the outside wall of the hen house, and beat it on the fire. I mean, they're, they're on one side, I'm beating on the other side. I walked in, here's all these hens walking around like this, wondering what happened. Man, I picked up all the eggs and got out of there. Every morning I'd pick up that ball bag, go bang, 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 and all the hens would be walking around a little. After about two weeks, my grandma says, I don't understand, this egg production's off 90%. <laughs> I said, you can't trust those chickens, I'm telling you. Just when you need them, they're not going to give it. The other thing my grandma wanted me to do was feed her pet pig. Now, my family was in the cattle slaughtering business. These farms had thousands and thousands of head of cattle on it. My dad and my grandfather killed 1,500, 2,000 head a week. And I lived on the feedlots where we kept all those animals. But amidst all of those cows, my grandma had these chickens and one pet pig. You say, how'd your grandma choose a pig for a pet? I don't know, but she did. That pig was mean. <laughs> Two things people don't know about pigs. Number one, they're fast. How many of you know a pig can move? Well, I mean, pig gets at you, boy. You just don't mosey away from them. They're quick and they're fast. Number two, they bite. How many of you know that? I, I mean, they bite the fire out of you. Mean, mean pig. Man, I'd have to make this disgusting stuff called swill. They'd take all the scraps, put it in with grain and meal, and then you'd add old sour milk and water, and you'd stir it all up, a disgusting mess. Looks for all the world like the stuff they buy babies to feed them. Like, like, it looks like swill. You fix it all up, you go out, you give it to the pig, and you know that, that pig would chase me, give me trouble, give me aggravation. One day I said, you know, there's got to be an answer. I answered my problem with the chicken. I'm going to answer my problem with that pig. And for the life of me, I couldn't think what to do. And my cousin John would come over and I'd say, John, you think about it. Somehow I got to train that pig. I'm done running. I'm done getting bit. I'm done being scared. I got to have an answer. John said, man, whatever you do, don't mess with grandma's pig. She said she likes that pig, and she said, man, you, you mess with that pig, Grandma will take you apart. And I said, that's right, I'm going to come up with an idea, and man, I thought about it, and after a couple weeks, I came up with a good idea. That pig, every day, did the same thing. Harass me, eat, and when it was all done eating, it would waddle over, big old thing, waddle over next to a metal fence where there was a little low spot where water would lay, and then it'd mosey in. How many of you ever seen a pig mosey in? They, 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 they got away, they can back in, they hunker down, and it would plump down, and then it would lean over against the fence and go to sleep. Now, I didn't know a lot, but somewhere, eight years old, I had found out that metal would conduct electricity. <laughs> I knew that. So I said, John, there's one great big long coil of cord in there and what we're going to do is string that out now while i knew metal took electricity i had no knowledge none that there was different voltages of electricity 
It's a big old fat cord with a funny three-prong head on it. And it would only fit, it would only fit one socket in the barn. But I only needed one. I said, John, we're going to run that out, hook that up. And I said, what I'm going to do is when that pig lays over, I'll get in front of it. And then, John, you plug it in. And I said, what we'll do, and these were my words, I said, John, we will put the fear of me and the Lord in that pig. I said, he's got to be looking at me when you plug it in because I want him off my back. John said, man, David, you're going to mess up Grandma's pig. I said, John, we're not going to mess up the pig. Trust me. Trust me. The next day, man went out, collected the eggs. Bang, bang, bang. Got them all. Went over to take care of the pig, and I thought, I can't wait for today. Stirred that. I mean, I was set. Went out, poured it, got chased, got bit, got harassed. That's the last day this will ever happen. While the pig's eating, John and I are running the cord. Man, we're taking it out, and it's really too good to be true. There's bare wire on the end. So, I mean, we just wrap it around there. I said, now, John, you stand inside, and you plug it in when I yell now. Pig eats, moseys over, saddles in, just nestles down. Been raining a little bit, it's wet there. Saddles in and lays over against it. Now I walked over and I didn't count on how quick that pig had closed its eyes. So I walked over, you know what you do, you pick up some mud and stuff and you wing it at him, throw a stone or two. I mean, I want his eyes open so he knows who did it to him. <laughs> Finally, I get his eyes open and I yell to my cousin, Now, John, now! And old John plugs it in. What happened in the next 60 seconds was unbelievable. <laughs> that juice hit that old pig, and his feet went, <laughs> and sparks come out the bottom. That old pig's tongue went, <laughs> and his ears, which are normally up, went out sideways. I mean, he's like, <laughs> and smoke is coming off the pig. Smoke. All right, John, that's enough. Little did I know when John plugged it in, he got hit with 220. John is on his back, not hurt, but scared to touch it. All right, John, that's enough. John, that's enough. Finally, he gets enough nerve to pick up a stick and pull it out. Time he gets it out. The pig is permanently, he is gone to pig heaven. His, his legs are out like this. His eyes are like this, his ears are cocked, and his tongue is stuck out. John came out and he said, you killed Grandma's pig. I said, I didn't plug it in. <laughs> I said, you're in a heap of trouble, John. 
I say, Grandma's going to kill you. Look at that. Oh, and John went to peace. He said, we're going to... I said, now, hold it, hold it, hold it. I said, our plan needs an adjustment. <laughs> and you know what you do when it doesn't work? You start covering up. Instead of saying what we're trying to do isn't working, you try to cover it up. I said, I'll tell you what we'll do. I said, first of all, I said, we got to get those legs down. No pig ever died like this. So, I mean, we're out there standing on them, trying to get those legs down. John said, look at its eyes. I mean, they're like, yay, they just, I mean, I never saw pig eyes like that. I said, go get Grandma's pincushion. I don't even know what a pincushion is, every grandma. I said, we got to get those eyes closed. Took them and I mean, got her pincushion. We're pinning them down, packing them with mud. And he said, look at a tongue. Man, we got a stick. We're trying to get that tongue back in there. Was all said and done. Didn't look good, but didn't look bad. Best you could do. I said, now, John, that pig's been around here a long time. It was time for him to go anyway. Grandma just found out. So, man, when I went in, I... I told my grandma, I said, you know, I don't know much about pigs, grandma, but that pig didn't look like I was feeling good today. Now, don't you all look at me like that. You've all done a cover-up or two. I said, pig don't look too healthy today. Well, she said, I'll, I'll, I'll check him later. I said, yeah, I, I, I just, I don't know, maybe he's not feeling well. Man, she didn't go out. Next day, John, man, what are you going to do, David? He's still there. I said, John, I'll handle it. Pour the swill out. Of course, ain't no pig to chase you now. <laughs> I went and told my grandma, I said, you know, he ain't eating like she always does. <laughs> you ought to come take a look. Man, she went out to the pig yard with me. I said, right over there, see if she's sleeping. My grandma walked up and she said, well, that pig's dead. I said, no kidding. <laughs> you think so? Poke it a couple times. Now she was buying it. Old John's in it now. Yeah, I believe it is dead. My grandma said, well, I'm sorry that old pig died. I like that pig. I said, yeah, I know, but they all go sooner or later, you know. <laughs> then she said, pull it out away from the gate. So now grab feet, pull it out. And I never thought about the fact. There were grill marks. I thought of everything except we smoked her. <laughs> she said, look at that, there's grill marks. I said, might have been lightning, you know. <laughs> My grandma said, it ain't raining lightning. Bull John went to pieces. <laughs> oh, we killed your pig, I said. I've been trying to cover for him, Grandma, I'm telling you. 
You listening to me? I wish in my life that would have been the last time I ever tried to make the wrong thing work. But you know what happens? There's just something inside of us that once we try something, we feel like somehow we got to make that work even if the Bible says it won't work. And across America tonight, there are churches who have dedicated themselves to trying to accomplish what God says cannot be accomplished. But boy, are they working a cover-up. Yes, God says if your land is in trouble. By the way, we are in trouble. There is a lack of order and a lack of law. You know what's scary? Up until the Civil War, in order to be a lawyer in America, you had to study the Bible. They said, how can anybody be a lawyer without knowing the lawgiver? Now, all of a sudden, you don't have to know the Bible. You don't have to know what God says. Law is man's invention. Law was not invented by man. It was decreed by God. Boy, how we're trying. Then man says we can change man. Are you listening to me? Man cannot change man. It takes the Holy Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit of God to change man. Now listen to what God says. Mark your Bible, please. Second Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14. God says, if my people, my people, Please listen, we're all upset with what the unsaved are doing in America. The problem in America is not the unsaved, it's the saved. If I read my Bible right, the unsaved tonight are doing exactly what they're supposed to be doing. They're supposed to be blind, and they are blind. They're supposed to be wicked, and they are wicked. They're supposed to be lovers of pleasure, and they are lovers of pleasure. They're supposed to be rebellious, and they are rebellious. The unsaved are doing exactly what God says they would do. The question of the hope for America, if you're ever going to see something restored in this land. And can I tell you this? I believe the coming of the Lord is soon. But what if God didn't come for 25 or 50 years yet? Just what kind of an America are these babies going to grow up in? My Sunday school teacher, Brother Garris, is a young man. I remember him standing up there saying, you boys don't ever have to worry about growing up. The Lord's going to come ahead of that. My Bible says no man knows the hour. My Bible says that we better pray he tarry till we get the harvest in. Boy, all of a sudden, what if he doesn't come real quick? What in the world is the America going to be that these young people who lined up here, how many of you, you're seeing things right now you never thought you'd see in your lifetime, ever? My friend, we have just started, just started. God says, if my people, the answer lies with the Christian.
You know what the tragedy is? We want to change all of them. God's far more interested in changing us. If my people, now catch these next words, which are called by my name, right there's the problem. For openers, most Christians are half embarrassed to have their testimony right out front all the time. Can I ask you a question? Does everybody you know know that you're a Christian? Oh, I know the folks here do. But what about all of the places that you shop and do trade and all the places you go? You see, I don't believe anything's going to change until God's people get excitedly proud about the fact that we are God's people. If my people, which are called by my name, amazes me when we get preachers around certain circles how suddenly they introduce themselves as a reverend a member of the clergy all of a sudden all the shouting and all the excitement dies down because we're trying to blend in to look respectable with everybody else God says you want to see a country get changed it's my people which are called by my name Boy, it's time for us to stand up and stake a claim who we belong to. Dr. Taylor was right. We don't belong to ourselves, Randy. We belong to him. And God says, I want you called by my name. Now look at these next instructions. If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves. Pride's a funny thing, isn't it? Let me tell you what the worst pride is. The guy who's proud, he's not proud. Oh, well, thank you. I don't deserve this. And all of a sudden, you've not humbled yourself. You're sitting there acting pious. You're sitting there acting proud, but you're not proud. You know what humbleness is? It means we come to an end of you. An end. Will humble themselves. Scary right now in America tonight. All the Christians want to tell you what they think. That means they haven't come to the end of themselves. My Bible says we're to die to self. Humble ourselves. Boy, right now you want to split a church? Just get the people to be offended. Oh, it don't matter what. All they got to do is be offended. And you got to split in the making. Are you listening to me? A humble person doesn't get offended about anything. He's got nothing to be offended over. If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves, look at the next words, and pray. If I were to ask you tonight, based on your prayer life, where's America headed? When I interview someone frequently, 
Brother Jim Rushing of our staff is here. Brother Jim, hold your hand up in the back. This young man's with our ministry. When I interview someone and I have any question about them, you know what I like to do? I like to sit down and I say, how we're going to do this interview is for the next hour, I want to hear you pray. I don't care about what, I just want to hear you pray out loud, pick whatever you like. I want to hear you pray for one hour. The guy says, one hour? Man, right away you find out he's never done this before. You know what I've discovered? You'd be amazed at the people who could not talk to God for one hour. If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray, not join political action groups, not get up on all the issues, not order everybody's videos that are being sent out, not join some information league, but pray. Humble themselves and pray. I wonder how many of you here have ever spent one night in prayer for the course of this country. I believe if I asked you tonight how many of you love America, how many of you are concerned with America, you'd all sit here and say, Brother Gibbs, I love the country, I'm concerned for the country, but Brother Gibbs, America's not worth one night in prayer. Then we sit here and say, we better come up with another program. Let's try another plan. You're reading God's plan. Everything else is going to fail. Why should the kids do it when the adults don't do it? My son Matthew's been called to preach. Boy, you talk about something that tickles the dad's heart. <laughs> I called home the other night, every night. I'm away from home so many nights, 250 plus, 300 nights a year. I called home. Last thing I do before I go to bed is call my wife. We have prayer together. We talk. I called home, and she says, I, I, I got to tell you something. I said, what's that? She said, Matthew's up. He said, what do you mean Matthew's up? It's, it's almost three in the morning by you. She said, I know, we got a, a pond in our backyard. She said, he's out walking around the pond. I said, what's he doing? She said, well, open the window. He's out there praying, <laughs> walking around the pond. She said, he's been out there since just a little after 9.30. She said, should I go get him? I said, you let that boy be. Just let him be, Mom. How's that boy ever going to be a man of God if he doesn't know how to carry a prayer burden? By the way, everybody says the hope is hot pulpit. There is no hot pulpit without hot knees. All you've got left is oratory. My people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves come to an end of themselves and pray. You know what I find? Most everybody knows this verse by heart, but they don't know what this verse says by heart. My people which are called by my name shall humble themselves and pray. 
Look at this next and seek. Not what you want, but what God wants. Seek God's face. When was the last time you said, God, whatever you want, saw it with me? We got a man in our ministry, a black man by the name of Brother Jim Coates. He's a, a military hero, 30 years in the United States Army. He has every heroism and valor award our country gives twice. Every decoration you can get twice. Went through all of that, was not saved. He's a pilot extraordinaire. Then he got saved. Boy, when he got saved, he got saved. He's the best soul winner in our ministry. I tell everybody, he'll witness to a tree stump if it'll hold still. He just gets in it. Brother Jim's got a habit. I love it. You say, Brother Jim, I want you to do something. You know what he says? You just tell me, Brother Gibbs, it's a done deal. You know what God's looking for you to say? You just tell me it's a done deal. Seek my faith. You know what we got? Everybody wanting to come to serve God on their conditions. God, here's where I'm willing to live. Here's what I'm willing to do. This is the amount I'm willing to get. God, these are the terms I'm willing to live with. You know what God says? Get rid of your terms. Seek God's face. Humble themselves. Pray. Seek God's face. Look at the next words. And turn from their wicked ways. Not the world turn, God's people turn. You want me to tell you what will change America, what will put law and order back? Is when you and I turn from our wicked ways. Well, you say, Brother Gibbs, what wicked ways are you talking about? It would shatter you tonight if everybody here got honest with what they've been letting run through their minds from time to time. It'd scare you if you'd see what from time to time we put our eyes to, our ears to, our minds, our emotions, our passions. My friend, God says, it's not going to start out there, it's going to start in here. Turn from your wicked ways. You know what God says? Then you're going to hear from heaven. Then you got God's plan. Then not what man's trying to do. Let's try to fill the Congress with conservatives. That's not God's plan. Let's try to take over the school board. That's not God's plan. Let's try to see if we can't pray in the public schools again. That's not God's plan. God just gave you his plan. But boy, how we want to try to do it our way. Preacher called me on the phone. He said, I've just been sued. He said, they're trying to close our Christian school. He said, our Christian school's exemplary, it's wonderful. He said, the kids test out at the highest academic levels, and that was all true. But he said, they just sued us. They sued me, every one of my teachers. He said, they sued our deacons, our trustees. And he said, Brother Gibbs, they sued every parent in our Christian school. And he said, the lawsuit against the parents is frightening. He said, Brother Gibbs, they sued every parent and they're going to take the kids away from the parents for simply sending the children to a Christian school. He said, every one of the parents' lawsuits has a letter with it that says, when you come to court, bring your child, his toys, and belongings. Because if you lose, we will take the child from the courtroom. He said, Brother Gibbs, my office is full right now, terrified parents. 
He said, dads are coming in here shaking. Grandparents are calling. He said, our ministry is sued. My parents are sued. And he said, Brother Gibbs, I'll tell you the truth. We're scared half to death. He said, will you defend us? I said, you bet it would be my honor. He said, will you defend the parents? I said, you bet. He said, will you do your best? By the way, how many of you one day are going to want somebody to do their best for you? Well, you know, I'm so tired of Christians not giving their best. We got this idea God ought to be happy with any old effort. God doesn't require any old effort. He says, whatsoever your hand findeth to do, do it with all, all, all your might, all your heart. He said, well, you do your best. I said, you bet. He said, boy, can you win? I said, I'm not sure I can win, but I promise you we ought to win. We need to win. We're going to do everything we can to win. I'll do my best. He said, get everybody to pray you can. I said, you bet I will. I'll get everybody to pray. Boy, when we hung up, I mean, we got everything legally in motion. We got all the papers faxed in. Man, our group went into work overtime, and everything started to come together. And I thought, I need to get some men to pray. Need to pray. So I called my pastor. I said, Pastor, listen, there's a wonderful Christian school that sued, and they're trying to take the kids away from the parents. And I said, they've not done anything wrong. Just try to give their kids a God-honoring education. And these parents are terrified. He said, David, that's awful. I said, it's truly terrible. I said, these parents are beside themselves. My preacher said, are you sure that's all they're being sued for? I said, I'm positive. I've looked at it. That's it. My preacher said, that's wicked. That's ungodly. That's heathen. He said, that ought never happen in America. Boy, on the phone, I heard him start to get piped up a little bit. I said, well, that's why I'm calling you. I, 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 I want you to, to pray. Oh, he said, we're going to pray. But he said, son, we're going to do more than that. I said, what, what, what do you got in mind? He said, well, let me think a second. He said, we got to do something. Do something. I said, well, I just called you to pray. He said, I'll tell you what, I'm coming right over. You and I, we're going to see the governor. I said, the governor? I said, that's three hours away. I don't even know if he's in today. And if he is in, I don't know that he'd see us. And I said, if we do go see him and he's in and he will see us, what are we going to say? He said, it don't matter. He said, right now, we've got to do something, David. He said, I'll be right over. He's one of these guys that when he's done talking, he hangs up, whether you're done talking or not. How many of you all know somebody like that? Drive you crazy. I mean, I'm, I'm trying to tell him, no, 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 we can click. And I mean, he's on his way. I got my secretary calling. Boy, see if the governor's in. See if there's any way we can see him. They won't even confirm whether he's in. He shows up. I said, listen, we don't even know if the governor's in. He said, God will just have to get him there. Come on, we're going. Man, we get in the car. It's a three-plus-hour trip. I said, look, it's a long way to go for nothing. He said, David, it's not for nothing. He said, I'm telling you, this ought not happen. This is heathen. This is wicked. This is ungodly. Boy, he's really worked up now. How many of you ever seen your preacher get worked up a little bit? Boy, he's getting ahead of steam up. All the way down in the car, we're praying. Man, he prays first. God, open the door. God, I need him there. I need him there today, God. God, I need him there right now today. God, open the door. And he says, you pray, you pray. And I said, well, Lord, man, it sure be a help. He said, don't pray so wimpy. Don't pray wimpy. Pray. <laughs> you listen to me. Most Christians pray so wimpy. 
When was the last time you staked out territory in prayer? When was the last time you said, God, listen, this is what we need. This is what's right. This is what's ungodly. And boy, I mean, he's serious with the Lord. I, I mean, I've never seen him get so upset in prayer. He's hitting the wheel. And he's saying, God, you got him here today. We're all the way there. God opened the door. We get into the Capitol building, park in the basement, go over, get on the elevators. We're going up the elevators, a bunch of other people. He's still praying. God, open the door. And the people in the elevator are like, what, what? And I said, he don't mean this. He don't mean this. It's all right. You know what? I'm proud I've got a preacher that acts like a Christian when he gets down there. He's going to pray in front of anybody the way he prays to his God. God opened the door. Man, we're working our way down the hall. Come up in front of the governor's office. Huge, big, oaken glass front. Last thing he says is, God, now you've got to do it. Be God open the door. For the sake of these parents and these kids, help us open the door. We walked up, went to take a hold of it. The door opened. And standing on the other side, walking out, was the governor. Whoa. I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. Look at this. I mean, I now rank his prayers right up there with Moses. This is amazing to me. Preacher said, just the man I come to see. He said, Governor, I voted for you. And he said, I'm telling you, there's something terrible, wicked, ungodly that's happened in our state. Governor said, what is it? He said, man, there's some Christian parents over here that have been sued for simply sending their kids to a Christian school. Governor said, yeah, I know all about it. He said, I signed the papers approving it. Boy, when he said that, the preacher's countenance changed. He said, you signed the papers? He said, yeah. He said, Governor, that was wicked. That was ungodly. He said, that's heathen. He said, God is upset with what you have done. Now, the governor's standing there, and his hands are shaking a little bit, literally. He said, well, I'm, 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 I, I'm sorry you're upset. He said, not only am I upset, God is upset with you. He said, one day we're going to stand before God. And he said, you're going to regret this. He said, God's going to say, who here knows about this? And he said, governor, I'm going to hold my hand up. And he held his hand up. And he said, I'm going to tell God, I know all about it. God, I told him you wouldn't like it. <laughs> God, I told him it was wicked and it was heathen. And boy, I mean, he's talking so loud, got his hand up in the air. People are gathering around us now. <laughs> governor says, boy, I'm, I'm, I, I'm, I'm sorry. And the governor is stammering and stuttering and his hands are shaking and he's sweating. He said, I, 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 I got to go. And he turned and walked the other way, walked back in. Now we're standing out in the hall, and I said to the preacher, I said, boy, what's this stuff about when we get before God? And God says, who here knows about this? And you're going to hold your hand up. I said, my understanding is God already knows about it. He said, yeah, but he don't know that. He don't know that.
He said, shows you how much Bible he knows. He don't know nothing. I thought, man, this is the most unusual couple hours of my life. I mean, I just watched a man of God walk up to the governor. And I'm telling you, when confronted with the truth, and a man of God with some strength, that governor went to pieces. He said, well, let's go see the attorney general. I said, wait a minute, whoa, 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 whoa. I said, coming down here and jerking the governor's chain is one thing. But the attorney general, I said, now that's another thing. That guy can do me some harm. I said, just what are you going to tell the attorney general? He said, well, come on. I said, no, 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 I want to hear it here. I want to know what we're thinking. He said, I'm going to tell him it's heathen. He said, David, until we start telling the truth. Man, we're off on our way down the hall. God opened the door again. Here we go. Long old walk, we get down there, governor's way on one side on the same side, way down this way on the same side, and we get down there, and man, we get there, the door don't open. We open it. Walk in. Walk in, big, empty waiting room, secretary standing there, talking on the phone. We walk up, and for four or five minutes, we just stand there with our arms folded, listening to her on the phone, waiting for somebody to receive us, and he's praying. God, I need to see this man. Now, God, you're God. I need to see him. Somebody comes up behind us, taps me on the shoulder. I turn around. There's the attorney general. He says, what can I do for you? Preacher said, just the man I was praying about. I'd like to talk to you. He said, I'm here upset because some Christian parents are facing the loss of their kids for simply giving them a God-honoring Bible-based education. He said, I'm down here to find out who's responsible. It's a wicked thing. The attorney general says, well, I don't want to upset you, but I signed the papers. He said, you did. And boy, he put a little sting on it. The attorney general said, yeah. He said, that was heathen. That was wicked what you did. That was ungodly. He said, God's not going to be pleased. And one day when we stand before God, you're going to regret this. The guy says, now, whoa, whoa, whoa. And then I mean, same thing again. Man, when we get before God, and God says, who here knows about it? I'm going to hold my hand up. And that guy didn't know his Bible either. <laughs> Bottom line is they both got shot right there. Finally, it's all done. You know what the attorney general said? Now, here's a young man. And his hands are shaking. He said, man, I never saw anybody so upset. He said, look. I didn't sue your kids. You know what the preacher said? He said, you did too. He said, you sued the children of my brother. You sued the children of my sister. He said, you sued my kids. The attorney general, really, he said, I had no idea your family went there. He said, I didn't know. It's exactly what he said. When was the last time you got upset over what happened to somebody else? You know what's scaring me? God's people only get concerned when it's theirs. My Bible says when it happens to one of us, it has happened to all of us.
turn from their wicked ways, humble themselves, pray. The attorney general said, man, I'm sorry you're upset. You know what he said? He said, I have never, ever had a preacher come down here and tell me anything was wicked. He said, I've never had a preacher. He said, I've been attorney general, I think he said like 15 years. He was in his, he said, I've never had anybody tell me anything was ungodly. He said, I've never had anybody tell me God was unhappy with anything. But he said, I've been told today. And boy, he was shooken. He said, you know, he said, I'm sorry, you're really upset. And he said, now this has got me upset. He said, I don't know what, and he started hemming and hawing. And he said, I think I better go. And he turned and walked away. When he walked away, I told the preacher, I said, one incredible day. I said, nobody knew we were coming. You've done come down here. You've got the governor so scared he can't talk. The attorney general's sitting here rethinking his whole life. And I think your prayer life ought to part the Red Sea or something. I mean, it's amazing what's happened. He said, let's go home. And man, we went walking out, opened the attorney general's door. And when we walked outside, we'd been in there about 20 minutes. Outside, the biggest setup of news media I'd ever seen in my life was now all set up. About 40, 45 people, dozens of cameras, microphones everywhere, two of the national networks were set up outside. Preacher walked up to me and said, what are you all here for? They said, we're down here to cover the story of those parents going to lose their kids because of their faith in the Christian school. He said, well, that's why I'm here. They said, what are you down here doing? He said, I was just over there and told the governor he's a heathen. <laughs> he said, I was just in here and talked to Mr. Attorney General and told him what he did was ungodly and one day for eternity he's going to pay. They said, you did that? He said, yes, sir. They said, would you be willing to put that on the news? He said, I'll be glad to tell you the truth. And then when they said that, I said, well, preacher, can I talk to you a minute? on over here I said listen we've had an unbelievable day but putting it on the news I said this is going to be recorded it's going everywhere I said boy whatever you do be careful he said right right <laughs> he walked back over there and boy I mean they turned on the lights and said did you come see the governor said sure did the man's a heathen He's doing wicked, he's doing wrong, and he knows it. Said, so just in Saudi Attorney General. He said, that man's going to stand before the judgment bar of Christ one day, and God is going to be some kind of upset. And I just came down here to let him know. Well, I'm listening to this, and I mean, these people are like, wow. When it's all done, they said to him, well, what are you going to do about it? He said, I don't know, but I'm going to do something. You know, before you know what you're going to do, you got to first decide you're going to do something. He said, I don't know, but something. They said, well, when you figure out what you're going to do, call us. He said, yeah, I will, I will. They said, come on, David, let's go home. I thought, man, this is going to be the most incredible story I've ever heard in my life. I mean, what I've just witnessed, I've never seen anywhere. I've been to capitals with dozens and dozens of preachers, and they've never said anything. Man, I'm telling you, I watched the two ranking people in our state go. I'm telling the preacher, this is amazing, this is amazing. He said, yeah, let's go home, let's go home. 
We walked about that wall, mid-step, mid-step, he stopped. And he went, that's it, that's it. I said, what's it? He said, I figured out what we're going to do. I said, what are we going to do? He said, come on over here. You can hear it while I tell them. I said, no, 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 no. I want to hear it over here. Man, enough of this stuff. I said, my heart's been in my throat all day. I want to hear it here. Oh, I said, you're going to like it. You're going to like it. Come on. We come over here. He said, I figured out what we're going to do. Man, they turn all the lights back on. He said, Mr. Gibbs and I have been discussing this. I love my preacher, but I'm, I'm thinking, yeah, between here and there, and I don't even know what we're going to do. It's not a major discussion. He said, here's what we're going to do. He said, God helping us, in 30 days from today, there's going to be a group of Christian men who are going to stand right outside these doors here, right outside the Capitol, right outside the governor's office, right outside the attorney general's office. He said there's going to be godly Christian men that are going to come here and tell this government this is wicked, that this is heathen, that this should never happen in America. Then they said to him, well, how many people are you going to have? And boy, I'm back over here and I'm thinking, boy, don't give him a number. Oh, don't give him a number. Who knows? I mean, don't. He said, that's a good question. He said, God helping me, 30 days from today, there will be 5,000 men. When he said 5,000 men, Brother Garris, my knees buckled. I'm thinking he, his elevators are not hitting the upper floors right now. This is not going to work. I came over, tapped him, said, could I talk to you, preacher? Sure, David, comes over here. I said, listen, it's not going to work. This is impossible. He said, what's the problem? I said, first of all, there's never been a meeting of 500. There's been very few meetings with over 50. You just said 5,000. That number can't be done. I said, number two, 30 days from today is the dead of winter. I said, we will be in howling snow. It'll be 10 degrees. You can't meet outside. Everybody will freeze to death. He said, yeah, it's going to be cold. It's going to be cold. <laughs> I said, reason number three, it can't be done. 30 days from today is a Monday. That's a work day. They're never going to give up a day's pay to come. He said, okay. I said, here's what you do. Go back over there and tell them that this is one of many alternatives we're going to consider. And that after we have considered and analyzed the logistics of various proposals, we're then going to convene together with a larger group and decide what would be wise under all of the conflicting circumstances. He said, that's good. You wait here. Goes back over here. He said, I just talked it over with Mr. Gibbs. We both agreed. 30 days from today, there will be 5,000 men out front here. They said, we'll all be here. He said, yeah, don't you miss it. He turned around. He said, isn't this good? Isn't this good, David? Let's go home. I never saw him so happy. 
You know what he said all the way home? He said, David, can't you see it? I said, preacher, that's the problem. I do see it. Nobody's coming. I said, you can't go out there. You'll freeze to death. It's a payday. They'll never miss pay. I, I said, this is, this is out of reach. It can't be done. He said, David, you got a better idea? Put it on the table. Otherwise, we're going to do this idea. Isn't it funny? Everybody who's against your idea has no other idea. He said, it's going to be great. I mean, he is bubbles. We get to my house. Three hours later, I get out of the car. He says, thanks for coming. And he says, kiss your wife goodbye. I stuck my head back in the car. I said, why would I want to kiss my wife goodbye? He said, David, for the next 30 days, you and I are going to run like there's no tomorrow. He said, son, it may be that nobody's going to come, but it isn't going to be because you and I didn't work day and night. He said, son, we are going to give our all. He says, you're going to stand and fight for those kids like they're your kids because they are. I said, wait a minute, wait a minute, I'm the wrong guy. I'm not even for this plan. He said, that's all right, just don't tell anybody. Just come on, you'll be fine. I said, now wait a minute, wait a minute. He said, I'll be by, pick you up at 5 a.m. And he backs out and drives off. I thought, wait till I tell my wife. Wait till I tell her. She won't believe it. I walked in. I said, honey, you're not going to believe this. The preacher thinks there's going to be a meeting in 30 days with 5,000 men. She said, isn't that wonderful? I said, no, it's not wonderful. It ain't going to happen. I said, he wants me to go with him. I thought, boy, that'll stymie me. In 30 days, I'll be gone. She said, man, I got to get your shirts ready. She said, I'll get it all ready. I said, honey, it won't work. You know what she did? Tears started streaming down her cheek. She said, honey, if they'd suit our family, wouldn't you want a David Gibbs somewhere to do something? She said, it's the least we can do. The least. I thought, I don't believe this. She's for it. The preacher's for it. Nobody can see it's not going to work. He gets home, he calls me on the phone. He said, I've been praying and thinking about it. And he said, I've decided. we got to know who's with our group. So he said, nobody's allowed to come to this meeting who doesn't ride a church bus. I said, you think 5,000 men are going to ride church buses? I said, let me remind you, half of our buses can't get across the parking lot, <laughs> let alone across the state. And I said, what makes you think that men will ride on buses? You know what he said? He said, that Monday, God will have to heal those buses. He said, number two, do the men good to see where we've been putting the kids. He said, they got to come on buses. He hangs up. I told my wife, I see you going to believe this. He thinks 5,000 men are going to come on church buses. Oh, she said, won't that be a sight? I said, yeah, that'll be a sight. Half hour later, he calls me again. You know what he says this time? He said, we got to have a place to park all those buses. He said, here's where we're going to park them. We are going to park all of these buses on the Ohio State University football field. I said, they'll never let you do that. He said, I already called them. They said, we can't. We're going to put them on the football field. 
Next morning, he's not at my house at 5 a.m. At 4.40, he's on my porch knocking on the... Come on, come on, we're late. Let's go, let's go. I don't even know where we're going, but we're late. <laughs> Most unusual meetings I've ever been in in my life. First meeting was a group just about this size. Can I tell you what he did? Scared me half to death. My preacher, an eloquent preacher, he got up and said almost verbatim, I quote, You don't come! God help your sorry soul! If a day's pay means more than the kids, you're a lousy Christian. You don't come, don't ever open your mouth about nothing. You hear me? Nothing. You don't come, God help your sorry soul. And he went and sat down. I said, you know, couldn't we like invite him? I, I mean, I don't know. I mean, I'm, I'm looking at these people's faces and they're like stunned. That they're like, what was that? You know what he said to me? He said, that's the problem. He said, you want to apologize for the truth while you're giving it. He said, the truth don't need an apology, David. It just needs to be said. He said, the truth is, God help their sorry soul if they don't come. He said, the truth is, they're stinking Christians that the day's pay means more than the kids. He said, I said it, I stand by it. He said, you want to get up and apologize, do it. Well, I didn't know what to do. Everywhere we went, God help your sorry soul. Two weeks into it, a group of preachers called me who were my friends. <laughs> Worst day of my life. I got in a meeting with them. These are men that supported me, who I loved, who I appreciated, who I respected. You know what they said? We're here to issue an ultimatum. I said, what? They said, you are an embarrassment to the cause of Christ. I said, what do you mean? What I do? They said, everybody knows nobody's coming. The number 5,000 is on everybody's lips in the capital. It's on every church's lips. And everybody is laughing and mocking. You are an embarrassment, David. They said, here's the ultimatum. You either immediately renounce this plan and turn on it, or every one of our churches is dropping you from support and we're going to oppose you. I said, now wait a minute, you guys will destroy me. I said, I don't think it's the greatest plan in all the world, but nobody else has got any plan. I said, please, for the sake of the kids, they said, David, you gotta decide. You either leave here having rejected the plan and oppose it with us, or we're all dropping you and we're going to oppose you. Now maybe you know what you do in that moment, but my mind just went spinning. I thought, Lord, here's 70 of my friends. I'm dead. 
And I didn't know what to do. And I said, listen, it may not be the greatest plan, but this is my pastor and I'm going to follow him. I said, I know he knows the Lord, and I don't know that this plan's any good, but I know he's good. So I'm going to stay faithful to my preacher. Boy, you better make that decision in advance, because in a moment of crunch, it's going to be hard to think, I promise you. They said, then we oppose you. I said, please don't. You guys are killing me right now. Please don't. I beg you don't. For the sake of the kids, for the sake of my family, for the sake of my ministry, please don't. They said, no, you had your chance. I walked out of that meeting, went by my pastor. He said, it didn't go good, did it? I said, no, it went terrible. I said, I want you to understand they're against everything we're doing. He said, they're not against us. They're against the Lord right now. I said, I'm upset. He said, we can't afford for you to be upset. He said, you get upset, we'll stop doing what we got to do. Right now, you got to pull yourself together, we got to go. I thought the least he could do was say, they're there. <laughs> but you know what? You go there, there long enough, you'll be there, there forever. He said, come on, we got to get back to work. Two more weeks. God help your sorry soul. Got just ahead of it, the weather went terrible. I mean, terrible. We got a snowstorm, the interstates were closed. Preacher and I are on the secondary roads in the car. He's praying, God, get this weather out of here. It belongs to you. We need it gone. And I'm thinking, you know what? With this weather, we got the perfect excuse. I don't know that we want it gone. So I'm praying, Lord, you think about it. <laughs> you know what happened? They said that storm was going to stay there for a week to ten days. The second day, an Alberta clipper came out of Canada, shoved the thing out in the ocean. An Alberta clipper didn't shove it. God shoved it. How many of you believe the weather's in God's hands? I mean, boom, it was gone. It's bitter cold, 10, 15 degrees, but absolutely clear. He said, call the church to see how many are coming. Now it's Friday and Saturday. The meeting's Monday. Man, I'm calling churches, and the churches are saying, boy, we don't know. Our folks aren't hot to ride those buses. The men want to go other ways, and we're telling them they got to ride the buses. And, and, and why'd you pick a Monday? And man, how are you not going to freeze to death? I said, I know, I know, I know, but how many are coming? I said, well, we don't know. We don't know scared me. Do you ever plan a meeting and say, what if nobody comes? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Went down to the state capitol Friday night after church. Checked in a motel. I'm sitting there. And I thought, tomorrow if nobody comes, I thought of 18 reasons to explain why nobody came. Preacher came walking in. Now, you understand, we had not gotten two hours sleep a night for 30 days. We had not been home for 30 days. He looked terrible. His eyes were all puffy and dark. His face was all drawn. He said, what are you doing? I said, well, I'm writing press releases. 
He said, you're writing excuses. I said, well, yeah, kind of. How many of you know the preacher can just zing right in sometimes? He looked at me and said something I've never forgotten. He said, David, would it be so terrible to really try something noble for God and not make it? He said, would it be so terrible or would it not be worse not to try? You know what? Most people are so afraid they won't even try. He said, you're right. He said, I'm so exhausted I can't think. He said, I'm praying and going to bed. Had a three-piece suit on, a vest, coat, pants. He sank down to his knees and prayed a prayer I know almost by heart. He got on his knees. He raised his arms like this. Tears started streaming down his cheeks. And he said, Lord, this Roy. I never heard anybody introduce themselves like that to the Lord. He said, you know, you know I've given you everything. He said, there's nothing more in me, God, nothing I've given at all. Now, God, you've got to do what only God can do and bring the men. He said, bring them. Half a dozen times, he said, you've got to be God. He rolled over on his bed in his clothes, tears still streaming. He said, be God. you got to be. Be God. He went to sleep. Next morning he got up and he said, uh, I got an idea. It's all I needed. Another idea. He said, I want you to go invite the governor. I said, me? He said, yeah. I said, why don't you go? He said, well, I told him off 30 days ago, and he said, it'd be better if you went. I said, I was with you when you told him off. He said, I want you to go. I went over, found the governor's office. As I'm walking over there, I scared myself half to death. Came up on the Capitol building. There are 200-plus riot policemen. Umpire, chest protectors, helmets, motorcycles, dogs, two helicopters flying overhead, shotguns. I walked up to one. I said, what's this all about? He said, we're here to handle the riot. I said, what riot? He said, we got word the church people are coming to riot. I said, who told you that? They said, other churches called us. I thought, those rascals to the end. To the end. Listen, just because you don't agree with everything else, don't try to destroy everybody else. <laughs> Sheriff, I told the man, was a sheriff detached? I said, listen, there's going to be no riot. He took his gun and cocked it, and he said, you bet there's not. I said, now, wait a minute. Whoa. I said, relax. I said, going to be far more of you than them. I, I said, just relax. Man, I walked inside, shook, found the governor's office, went up to his secretary. She's the meanest lady alive. <laughs> that old battle axe. I told her. I said, I want to invite the governor to come to a meeting today. She said, where do you live? I said, in Cleveland. She said, what's your home phone? I gave her the home phone. She said, if the governor can come, he'll call you at home. I said, ma'am, won't do any good. Nobody's at home. We're all here. I said, I got to see him here. She said, hear me. If he can come, he'll call you at home. I said, lady, you don't understand. There's nobody at home. Won't do any good to call at home. He's got to call me here. She said, you don't understand. If he wants to come, he'll call you at home. I said, lady, you don't understand. And boy, she got mad. 
She stood up, took her finger, and thumped me. She said, you don't understand. If the governor... Boy, it's hurting like blazes. If the governor can come, he'll call you at home. I thought, you mean old bitty. I'm telling you, I've never seen anybody like that. I said, all right, if he can come, he'll call me at home, and I walked out. Saw the preacher. He said, is he coming? I said, he's calling if he can come. That's all I know. He said, let's call, see how many buses we got. Had a phone out there. One of my best friends was at the football field. I called him, Bob, 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 how many buses? He said, we got none. I said, what do you mean, none? He said, none. I said, you know, a little one. I'm thinking a van. <laughs> he said, we got no big ones, no little ones, none. He said, have you got any idea how big this place is? He said, there's one thing out here, though, I want you to know. He said, there's an aerial crane that goes up in the air 150, 200 feet. And he said, on top of it is a basket in which there's a United Press International photographer. I said, what's he doing there? He said, David, he says he's going to take a picture of a whole bunch of buses or a whole bunch of football fields. And tomorrow it's going to be in 100 and 88 newspapers. I said, oh. He said, David, I should tell you one other thing. I said, what? He was down here and his exact words were, whose crazy idea was this? And I gave him your name. <laughs> I said, now, Bob, that's not fair. You know, I'm, it's not my idea. It's the preacher's idea. He said, yeah, but I didn't want the preacher to look bad. So I gave him your name. <laughs> David, he's got your name, your address, your phone number. He knows all about you. And he thinks this is your program. I said, let me get this right. I said, you gave him my name. And here's going to be 188 newspapers that think I couldn't get one bus. And he said, I'm sorry. I said, Bob, I don't believe this. And I got discouraged. Do you ever get discouraged? I put the phone down and I started walking. And I said, I'm telling you, this is crazy. For an idea that I wasn't even for, I'm going to have my name and papers. I don't want them in. I'm going to get tagged with an idea I don't like. I have lost almost all of my support in my ministry. Uh, we have got people terrified all over the state. We I don't know how I got here. Here's what I told the Lord. I said, I'm in raspberry sauce up to here. God, just get me out of today. You get me out of here. I'm, I'm not getting in this ever again. Just get me out. And boy, I'm like upset. How many of you ever been upset? I mean, you're just, I'm walking, talking. I'm, about an hour goes by. They said, let's call, see if there's any buses. I said, oh boy, let there be some buses. Call out there, how many buses? They said, well, we had three. I said, what do you mean we had three? They said, well, there were three here, but we had three break down, so we sent these three to tow those three, and we don't think any of them will be back. I said, I don't believe this. We can't even keep the buses we got. We're losing them. He said, David, I should tell you that photographer's been back down. He's half froze to death up there, and he is really mad. 
he says that he is going to do a feature on you. And he's calling you the deranged lawyer. I said, this is amazing. I hung up the phone, walked away. I said, Lord, just get me out. I said, I'm real sorry about the kids, but get me out. God, you get me out, I will never get myself in this fix again. I love the preacher, I know he means well, but God, will you please get me out? And boy, I got upset. In fact, I told God I quit. I said, Lord, just get me out. I mean, this can't go any worse. I walked the streets for one hour and 45 minutes, upset. Finally, a guy came running up to me, a friend of mine, Tony. He said, David, 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 you got to call out there. Something awful's happened. I said, what do you mean? He said, I'm telling you, there's been a catastrophe. you got to call. And I thought, that's it, that's it. I know it. We killed somebody. I know it. <laughs> you know those buses. They won't go and they won't stop. I'm, and I'm thinking, I'm going to prison for something I wasn't even for. I said, did we kill somebody? He said, I don't know, but it's bad and they need you right away. Man, I get back to the phone. I've been walking. I'm 30 minutes away. I get back. I pick the phone up. Bob's on the other end, sobbing uncontrollably. I've never seen the man cry. I said, Bob, I can't understand you. I said, Bob, the number. How many did we kill? Give me a number, Bob. A number. I said, Bob, I can't hear you. I said, put the phone down. Blow your nose. I can't hear you. He put the phone down. He blew his nose. Hear this awful noise. He picks the phone up. He says, David, David, you think this is just, he says, David, it's terrible. I said, what's terrible? He said, David, we have filled the football field. He said, we filled a second football field and he said David we're at the intersection of two major streets and he said for two miles in four directions there's the most awful traffic jam you ever saw he said the police are so mad he said it's terrible And he says, David, it's all church buses. <laughs> he said, the men have been on them since one and two in the morning. He said, they've pushed up, they've pulled up. <laughs> he said, they've changed tires. He said, there's a half a dozen that got all flat tires. He said, they're just lifting along. But he said, they're all full of men. You're not going to believe it. He said, the police are so mad. <laughs> he said, they give us permission to unload them eight across. We're going to take a whole row. He said, they're really mad. <laughs> he said, you're not going to believe this. Ten minutes later, they started pulling up eight across. Eight across, eight lanes. The buses went down 40 blocks. Was the line to get unloaded. The men came off the bus. We hadn't planned on anything for them to do because we didn't know if there'd be anybody there. The men come off the bus 
and the first group come off had their Bibles in their hand. They held them up in the air and they said, I'm here! I'm here! And I thought, what's this I'm here? And I said, what's this? He said, I know God helped me awful soul. He said, I'm here! They started pouring out of those buses, and pretty soon there's a group, three, four hundred of them standing there, nobody to lead them. They started singing. Boy, he lives, he lives. You could see their breath out to here. It's 10, 15 degrees. But they're singing with all their might and waving their Bibles, and oh God, our help in ages past, our hope in years to come. And the sound's hitting the building and bouncing and... Man, it's so loud. You know how it travels on a clear day like that, cold. People are sticking their heads out, and I'm watching these buses unloading. A guy comes running up to me, and he says, Are you David Gibbs? I said, Yeah, yeah, yeah. He said, The governor wants to see you right now. <laughs> I said, Tell him call me at home. He's got the number. <laughs> right? No, I didn't say that. <laughs> I thought it, though. I thought it. Man, he said, come on, come on. Man, I went running after him right by the meanest lady alive. I said, hello, and walked right on by. Oh, I couldn't help it. I got in there. You know what the governor said? Where you been? Where you been? I said, well, outside. Over. He said, not you. I said, what do you mean? He said, I've watched every vile group imaginable come up here and say something he said in all the years I've been in government he said the Christians have never come to say anything he said nobody's ever come as God's people where have you been I said, well, we're here now. He said, can I speak to that group? I said, yeah, yeah, I can fix that, sure. He said, I'll put a counter on the roof. He said, we'll get an accurate count of how many you got. Boy, his counter went up to the roof, came back down. They said, you got 2,000. I can imagine 2,000. Biggest meeting ever. He came back down. He said, you got 4,000. I got four. He came down, he said, you got 5,000. I said, huh? Well, I hope they got my name spelled right. 5,000. Man alive. He came down, said, you got 8,000. He came down, he said, you got 10,000. Last time he came down, he said, I cannot count the sides because I can't see them. He said, your buses still stretch down 20-some blocks, eight across. And he said, you've got over 14,000 men that are standing out there. 14,000. The policeman came up to me. He said, can I ask a favor? I said, what is it? He said, my men want to take off their sidearms and come stand with you. I said, well, help yourself. Those police ran 
posted some guards over all the rifles and came and stood and sang the hymns. Tears running down their cheeks. One policeman said, I've sung this since a boy. But he said, I'm going to sing it. every charge dropped I stood there and I said why didn't you say that 30 days ago how many of you know the heart of the king is in God's hand he said if the superintendent of education won't cooperate I'll fire him whoa the Attorney General showed up and he said can I talk to the group I said here's the guy that signed the papers help yourself he stood up and he said I will drop every charge I thought, why wouldn't he say that 30 days ago? Every charge was dropped Tuesday. Wednesday night, I stood in church with 40-some mothers who all held their babies and said, thank you, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, thank you, Jesus. When everybody left, the preacher came up to me and he said, how are you doing, soldier? I said, not too good. I said, a couple hours ago, I told God I quit. He said, you didn't mean it. I said, I did too. <laughs> you know what he said to me? He said, David, God won't let you quit. He said, God won't let any Christian quit. He said, you be patient. He said, God's got more for you to do. If my people who are called by my name, I'm so glad I got a preacher that's not afraid to be called by his name, will humble themselves, come to the end of what's best for you, and start doing what's best for the sake of the Savior. And pray. I lived in a car where for 30 days that's all that man did was pray. And turn from their wicked ways. Then, then, God says you're going to see something. The choice is yours. You can keep trying what everybody dreams up. It's not going to work. Or you can do it God's way. If, my people, let's pray. Father, thank you for speaking to hearts tonight. God, we want to leave different than we've come. How many tonight say, Brother Gibbs, God spoke to my heart. Slip your hand up. Slip them quick. Slip them high. Yes. I want you to leave out from that pew and come down here for prayer right now. God spoke to your heart, you come. It's a fearsome thing when God speaks to heart, but I'll tell you what's more fearsome is for God to speak and you not respond. Would you tonight? If my people, which are called by my name, will humble themselves, Pray, seek my face, and turn.
and turn from their wicked way. Then, then, they're going to hear from heaven. The problem's not the world. The problem's us. God, tonight we bow our knees. First of all, asking you to just forgive us. How many things we've tried, how many things we've thought. God, how we want to see something happen and we've tried everything that has no promise in it. But God, your word is anchored to a promise sure. And tonight, we're just declaring we're your people. We delight to be called by your name. And tonight, amidst the quietness of this moment, we're surrendering to your word. God, our nation's in trouble. You're the answer. If we're going to be used, we've got to do it your way. I pray that you'd put a boldness in our speech, put a courage in our hearts. God, we're going to be called by your name without apology. God, let us put to death our interests and our thoughts.